the loss of podcast the loss of podcast hey sexy friend he's making me his bitch maybe you want to get a piece of that pretty good i want to talk about sexy teens i was getting erections it's a very creepy feeling i can guarantee that underwear theft will come up again none of this is relevant pokemon pokeballs 750 milliliter bottle of rum. Welcome to the Velocity Podcast. A study in monology. This is your grumpy uncle Peter. He will say words at you. It is rare, incredibly rare, that you would have the time or the ability to analyze an entire film's dialogue like one characters uh, in a reasonable amount of time, like a 90 minute movie. If you were talking about a single character's dialogue, you probably have to talk about it for as long as the film itself. So there's the dialogue and then the analysis and things like that. You would be talking about hours and hours and hours. There's, there's reviews. There's a couple of reviews. I think it's red letter media. They do reviews of like star Wars films that are as long as the film itself. So at what point, do you think like, oh, I should just watch the movie instead of watching this review of the movie? Because <laughs> I could find out what I actually think. Now, I have over the last few months talked about the Steven Seagal film Against the Dark. Now, I thought at first it was a science fiction film. I went and looked, I was looking through his sort of repertoire of films, his, his oeuvre, trying to find... Steven Seagal, because I'd heard that Steven Seagal was up for the part of Riddick in the Riddick film. Uh, I forget the name. It's where he fights the monsters that are all in the dark. I cannot believe I forget the name of that movie because I just keep thinking of the movie Riddick, which is actually the second film. Irrelevant. But Steven Seagal was up for that part and he would have been horrible at it because he's not a good actor. But he was sort of at peak fame at that time. It was the director who said, no, absolutely not. We are not having Steven Seagal in this movie, which I have a great deal of respect for. We all know about the rest of Steven Seagal's career. I know you know because I've talked about it endlessly to the point where I think maybe I have a problem that I should stop talking about it. Then I was talking with a friend and we were going through his movies, the ones I hadn't seen because he has direct-to-video movies like a half dozen a year uh, because some of them he's in, some of them he's not really in. This one is one of those ones he's not really in. He's in the film in the loosest sense of the word. There's a couple of movies I've watched of his that actually do this where they clearly have him on set for, I would say one whole day, maybe two at most. And then there's very little action. Like he'll punch a couple guys. He'll sit. There's a, there's a sniper movie where he sits in a chair. Most of the film and the actual film are other guys who do the stuff. This movie against the dark, he walks through a bunch of hallways. He has a sword. He like slashes swords at people uh, and they fall down. There's zombies. I became kind of obsessed with the idea because this is maybe was it an actual proper horror film? Like what do they do in this that makes it different? So I was very excited to watch it. Uh, my my friend who I was talking to pointed out that this film, uh, the DVD, cost, I know it was less than 100 yen. 
I believe it was 24 yen, which I think does not cover the cost of the actual plastic uh, of the case. Not the DVD itself, but the case that the DVD is in probably costs like, I guess it's so cheap now. Anyways, I do remember it cost me significantly more, like three times more money for postage to have that film sent to me. And, it, you know, it's a standard, really bad direct-to-video. Steven Seagal's name's on the cover, but he's not in it. I talked about Jackie Chan and, and stuff like that being in other films. Uh, Chow Yun-Fat and uh, the Gambler series, one of my favorite sets of movies until it got really off the rails. But I extracted all the audio, and that took a long time because I had to figure out how to do it. Um, but I have 17 sound files, and that is the entirety of Steven Seagal's dialogue from the movie Against the Dark. So I figured it wouldn't be subjecting you to the same torture. I had to watch the whole film. I watched it more than once. I watched it with a friend. I watched it by myself. I timed generally how much screen time Steven Seagal had. In a 90-minute film, he was on screen for less than five minutes. So I know I could play you all his dialogue because there's there's other bits he, like again, slashes some swords and punches some people. So his entire screen time is about less than five minutes. But the entirety of his dialogue, 17 full lines, maybe 18 or 19 because he has like a response. So he says something, someone responds, and he says something back to him. He was clearly only on set with other actors, minimally. Our introduction to Steven Seagal in this film, which I don't know if they were trying to make into like a Marvel Cinematic Universe franchise or not, but... Let's get this boy out of here. Take him to a safe place. We're not here to decide who's right or wrong. We're here to decide who lives and dies. Okay, Stephen, the last part. That, so this was the introduction of him, and I think that was supposed to be a cool line, which actually makes me believe they did not have a full script uh, done. I think they were deciding the lines in the moment. We're not here to decide who's right or wrong. We're here to decide who lives and dies doesn't make a lot of sense because wouldn't the people who are right deserve to live shouldn't those be let me give you the premise of the film uh there are vampires who act and look exactly like zombies because they don't have any special effects budget so the vampires can't do anything magical they have their teeth are spiky but they actually have a scene where the zombie vampire is sharpening her teeth There's another scene, actually it was quite good, uh, where it was putting screws in place of where its teeth used to be. So they're not, they're they're they called them vampires, but they followed all the rules of zombies. Uh, Some of them could talk later in the film, but they didn't have much to say that was of value. Uh, There was a lot of implications that were not followed through. There was no clear set of rules for these zombie vampires. I can't even say vampires because they're just so much like zombies. They were undead eating machines, which describes a zombie way more than it describes a vampire. The whole point of a vampire is they're generally intelligent. Uh, they would give a low-level vampire who has lost control of his faculties a different name, a wraith or something like that, if you were creating your own universe. In this film... Steven Seagal is the leader of a small team of hunters and they go around and they hunt the vampires uh, by 
usually slicing them. There's some fight. There's a lot of fighting actually, but apparently again, the implication that if they bite you, you would turn into something was there. It never really happened. So we actually don't know if that's true. Our introduction, there's a little kid running. It doesn't make any sense that he's running around on his own. Uh, they, they find him and they save him and then they get him to a safe place. Doesn't mean anything. That kid's never seen again. Uh, then we get into, then he disappears for like five minutes. They, they felt like they had to drop Steven Seagal into the film regularly throughout. We're going to clear each building room by room. Girls, kill anything that looks infected. Yes, sir. What about survivors? If they're tough enough, we'll bring them with us. His job, his primary purpose is to kill vampires, which I, again, just struggled not to say zombies. But if you find survivors, if they're tough enough, we'll bring them with us. Kind of a bit of bullshit on his part, if I'm being honest, because it's the ones there's, they've taken away any sense of nobility of these hunters. You could say like, our job is to kill the zombies. We're not actually, our, our job is to kill the vampires, not actually worry about survivors. If they're tough enough, they'll come with us. If they're not tough enough, we're going to leave them there to die. That is actually the implication. So now I have a sense that these are not like amoral people. They know what's right and wrong. They just don't care. They're only going to bring along people who are tough enough. Uh, let me, spoiler, I'm going to do a lot of spoilers for this film. Uh, if, if if you really want to go see it, it won't make a difference. Because the actual, again, Steven Seagal is only in it for five minutes. The actual film itself would not be spoiled if I gave away everything that Steven Skull does in this film. If you couldn't already guess. Uh, they meet some survivors. They don't actually hook up with them for a long time. They meet them again later. Uh, he gives one a guy a gun. Basically, Steven Seagal's presence in this film is of no benefit to the surviving party. All right, we've got to get going now. Pretty standard line. I actually was thinking of making that my ringtone. <laughs> because again, uh, I, I'm giving you every single line. Cause if I just gave you the important lines, there's only about, we, we go down from 17 to about four. Everybody okay. Okay. Check them for bites. I mean, you can see we're already at line six out of 17. I'm already running thin on material because any material I could extract, there wasn't much to it. Uh, again, I don't think there's a script. They had a little person to check for bites. Pretty standard line in this kind of movie. This though, I forget what point it is. It's pretty late in the film actually. Have you been bitten? Are you infected? Who are you? My name is Tao. Soon. Apparently the sun coming up is important because they're vampires, not zombies, even though, it, yeah, it doesn't matter. Uh, my name is Tao. And then the guitar. I I just loved it. We we laughed so hard because I missed the name at first. And my friend was like, no, no, no. Try to guess what the name is. He's like, if you were 12 and you were trying to make a cool hero name, what would you pick? And this is it. Let's, let's do that one again. I just really enjoyed that. Have you been bitten? Are you infected? Who are you? My name is Tao. 
I hear that guitar riff, and I want to start playing it. So cool. The sun's coming up soon. Um, so my name is Tao. It's completely irrelevant because, again, he's not really in the film. And he's already proven to be a bit of an asshole. He doesn't seem to care about other human beings. Uh, we do get a line later on that sort of explains that. She was all alone when I found her. She got roughed up pretty good. If you're having trouble understanding what Steven Seagal is saying, that is not an unusual thing. Uh, if you, there's, there's a couple of videos on the internet where they talk about that. He started out a uh, white guy speaking like white guy. At some point, he started shifting his verbiage uh, to a more urban style. And I don't think he was making fun of black people. I think he was emulating them. He actually had a series of films. Uh, this was sort of, Glimmer Man was sort of one of his peaks, and then he started to decline. Where uh, his, his partner in the film was a black dude who was way cooler than him. I think he was trying to emulate them. I don't think, I don't even know if this was conscious. Uh, then later on, when he starts hitting like super directed video stuff, he sounds Southern uh, and mumbles. So if you are having trouble understanding what he's saying, that is not you. That is him. He's actually gotten to the point where he barely speaks with his mouth open. I did a different movie and a different episode where I talked, where I, where I like, it's almost like they didn't have him mic'd up. He was just like mumbling about the gun is really good gun. He was doing that and they let it go. They let it run for way too long because you could not understand anything this dude was saying. I'm the motherfucker that's going to do you what you've been doing to everybody else. Now that's an interesting line. I actually quite liked it. Uh, line wise, it just didn't make sense in the context. So what this guy he's talking to was doing was taking people and he had like a little girl vampire. I think it was supposed to be his daughter and he was going to feed the people to the girl. Now, if I do to you what you've been doing to other people, I'm going to feed you to your daughter or I'll feed you to my daughter would be more accurate, but I don't think Steven Seagal or Tao has a daughter in this movie or maybe he does. Maybe that's his tragic backstory uh, that we did not catch because the movie doesn't have things like backstory in it. I think what he really wanted to say was, I'm going to kill you, but already kind of messed that up. There was, this was the most, the closest thing they got to an interesting plot line was a mad doctor catching survivors to help his daughter in some way. Uh, it was, a, it was like a B plot for about five minutes. One guy gets captured, separated from the party. The party gets separated a lot. One guy gets captured, separated from the party. Uh, then he gets tied to a table and then Steven Seagal comes in and saves him. There, that could have been a film in itself if you'd done it properly. And I've seen that. People do what they had to do to survive. That's what I'm talking about. The mumbling is people gotta do what they gotta do to survive. We got no more time. Do it quick and get out. I don't even remember what they're talking about. I mean, I know they're going from room to room, clearing buildings. He keeps sending the younger, more physically capable guy who's with him into rooms to do the actual fight scenes. Uh, and then suddenly the vampires are very skilled in mixed martial arts and Kung Fu and stuff. Uh, but at least that's like the closest you get to entertainment in the film is watching this really fit dude, kick the living crap out of some 
middle-aged men with makeup on. Well, there are, but uh, at this point, we can't really turn back. We're just going to have to try to get you there the best I can. I want to see daylight again. I want you to see daylight again. Here to guiding us? Well, the thing of it is, you know, we kind of have to do what we do. We hunt and we kill, and then we move on. So we're getting closer to the end of the film, and they've found an exit point. And for some reason, he's not going with them to the exit point. He's going to do what they do, which is hunt and kill and move on. Again, barely enunciating any of that. Uh, Hard to tell if he was even mic'd up. I think for part of this, he wasn't on mic and they just redubbed it later. The biggest shocker of this film was at the end, they had a credit for Steven Seagal's voice. So at some point, what we've listened to, we've done more than half. We're about to hit line number 13 out of 17. So you can see we've gotten through most of the film already. Most of that, I actually bet, is not actually Steven Seagal's voice. It's someone else doing Steven Seagal's voice for him. So it had Steven Seagal's voice was the credit, and then it had a different person's name. And then my other suspicion is maybe they didn't mic him up the whole time and they were going to do it and they just had this guy do the whole thing in post. So he did his lines. It's just he delivered them so poorly they had to redo them. I mean, there's a lot of guessing, but I assume if something can go wrong on a Steven Seagal set, it's going to go wrong if it involves Steven Seagal. There's got to be a hatch here. We've got to find it. All right, Tiger, get that thing open. How many floors down? So they're stuck in an elevator. Uh, The elevator sort of tube has filled up with water. One guy goes down there and immediately gets killed. And they just kind of like move on after that. It was actually, and it seemed like he was really the, the hero of the film. Like he was the lead character. All right, let's go. All right, let's go. Actually, maybe I should make that when I get a message on my phone. Yeah, I don't know if that's Steven Seagal. I, because the voice is so consistent, I, I'm torn as to whether it's uh, partial or full. It's all someone else's voice or it's just like some lines are redone. How far? How far? It's cutting it off. Come here, boy. Listen, man. I'm going to give you this. Now. (laughs) Okay. This is one of the longer lines that he has to do in the film. Uh, Come here, boy. Uh, I bet that wasn't in the script. I don't think people write that in anymore. Uh, Let's just go back and start that one again. I quite enjoy that one. Come here, boy. Come here, boy. Uh, I I work in a company. I'm an older guy compared to most of my coworkers. I'm actually thinking maybe I should start trying that, see how that works out. <laughs> see see how long it takes me to get fired. And then when they go to fire me, I'll be like, my name is Tao. Ba-na-ba, ba-na-ba. Since I won't have the music with me, I'll have to just do it with my mouth. This man. So he went from boy to man pretty quick. I'm going to give you this. Let me give you this. Now, you take the women and the girl up top, head south. It's a safe camp there. Get everybody safe here. 
This is a fully automatic pistol. Goes fast, so don't spend in one place you hear. Get gone and get safe. That is the most acting Steven does in this film. Uh, and it's pretty atrocious. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know. We have one more line. And it is the capper for the whole thing. And it is, you don't need to watch the film after this. You don't need to pay your 20-some yen to get the DVD once you've heard this next line. So we've just heard, this is the dramatic climax. The survivor group, he's given a gun to one guy. They're going to go off and, and survive if they can. He's going to go off and, and do what he do, which is hunt, kill, and move on, apparently. Uh, and then we get to the finale. No, I'm sorry. I'm just going to be doing this for the rest of my life. Oh, fuck. I got I got to cut that down. I got to cut down that that space at the beginning. Oh, fuck. I I just want to make all these my ringtones. Like every time I get a message like, "Ah, fuck." I could do that for email. I don't get that many emails. My phone's on silent all the time, doesn't matter. I don't know if it was the last Velocity Podcast episode or recently. A couple of people, I talked about times I felt like unfairly done by the universe. Uh, talked about being in the bank and getting being like 13 on the tr- on a bus and some old man being rude to me. I actually, after that episode, remembered one of the most unfair moments of my entire existence. And I think I had actually blocked it down because this was one of the moments where I learned life is not fair. There is no justice in the world. I was a Cub Scout and I can honestly say I was not a very good Cub Scout. Now my uh, end career in the Cub Scouts was not glorious. The, my my last days, my retirement uh, was without honors. Uh, discharged without honors, I think might be. Dishonorable discharge. I was dishonorably discharged from the Cubs. I was in it for a few years. I don't remember a lot. I remember trying to cheat the system as much as humanly possible because I did not really get along with the other boys. I wasn't a particularly social kid. I think maybe that has come across uh, in the last 260 episodes of Velocity Podcast. That I am much happier with a very small friend group and I do not want to expand it. And if I need to be alone, that's fine. But I did go to Cub Camp, I believe more than once. And in Cub Camp, one of the things they do, like you're out in the Canadian wilderness, uh, you got cabins that like six little boys sleep in and stuff it's fine Uh, i was never done hard by in any of that but there was uh capture the flag so they split us into two big teams there was a lot of kids like i remember it being more than 20 kids on each side and you they sort of laid out where everything was and the boundaries of the playing field and if you could grab the other person's flag so the rule was if you touch the other team's flag you won now i knew that one of the biggest problems strategically 
with with little boys, they make a lot of noise. So our team, they went off, they, they formed sort of little parties and it was little party groups of friends, uh, three or four. I, I was not in any of those. Uh, they went off and I knew they're going to make so much noise. They're going to attract attention. So I should do the, the stealth action. This was before video game consoles. I'm going to sneaky, sneaky, take a peeky, peeky. So while they all went off letting noise, I actually used that as bait for the other team because I knew they were going to be doing the exact same thing. They're going to be forming little teams, little groups, and they were going to go off and hunt the other little groups. There was no fighting involved that I remember. I think maybe we had little um, flags, and if you pulled that out, you were out. So that was the closest you get to violence in Cub Scouts. I snuck around, and it took a really long time. And I snuck around... And I found their flag and they had like two or three people essentially guarding it. But they were also little kids who were very easily distracted and been standing around doing nothing because guard time is the boring time. It's only fun when stuff is happening. So the hunting parties were the fun parties. And I noticed that they were all looking the same direction, trying to figure out where other people might be coming from. They had not noticed me. So I creeped again, very slowly, very cautiously around, snuck up behind, and I grabbed the pole, the stick that their flag was attached to. And I I had it. I won the game. The game was won. One of the bigger kids was on guard duty and clearly thought it was unacceptable that they would lose. So he grabbed the pole and he started pulling it out of my hands. Now, it didn't matter that he was pulling it out of my hands. We had already won the game. He was big, so much bigger than me. He was pulling. I fell off my feet and then he started dragging me along in the grass. And uh, this was sort of fall. So there were a lot of leaves. Uh, The roughage, he dragged me through the roughage, the undergrowth of the forest quite long and I got lots of scrapes and scratches, but I refused to let go of the flag because as long as I was holding onto the flag, we had won. Uh, Then, of course, my grip gave way and I let go. I don't remember any sort of physical violence or anything, but I was hurt. So probably I'd like hit a rock or something while I was being dragged around or maybe just the emotional shame of losing this thing I'd won. But again, it didn't matter because I had touched it, therefore we'd won. The problem in the oversight genius of the Cub Masters, I don't know what they're called anymore, the people who are supposed to be running this left the kids unsupervised uh, to play this game. Which meant when I had won the game, there was no adult to appeal to. So it was my word against three other kids. Uh, There was no real reason for me to lie. And I was standing in their area. I still had the little flag in my belt. Therefore, I had not been taken out of the game. But no one cared. And that, to me, maybe was the problem. Oh, fuck. We did not win. Our team did not win. Some other hunting party from the opposite team had found our flag and they had gotten that flag in that time. I don't recall. All I remember is saying... I actually won this game for our entire team. I should be a hero. I should be lauded. They should be having that moment in sports films where they lift me up over their shoulders and celebrate my greatness. That did not happen. Uh, I went back to the cabins or whatever 
because I was out of the game, probably had some orange juice, which is, you know, the eight-year-old's version of, version of a whiskey. Uh, and I just sucked it up. And I realized that it doesn't matter. I'm not going to win. No one's going to care that I'm winning. No one's going to believe that I won the game. Uh, and that's why I am a loser. Because I can win and still lose at the same time. Oh, fuck. Uh, I don't know if that had any sort of developmental impact. But I do, from a very young age, realize that uh, there was no justice. There was no fairness in the world. And that I was going to be on my own. And that actually probably is why I'm sitting here making podcasts. And like, again, I talk about having a very small friend group and stuff. I'm assuming you want to know the dishonorable dis- discharge from Cub Scouts. I, there are two incidences. Uh, one, they give you a piece of wood and some wheels and stuff, and you're supposed to build a racer uh, that goes down a ramp. And then whoever I believe it goes the farthest wins. So aerodynamics don't really come into play. What you need to do is front load the little car. Now, it gives you a little, they gave us a little box, had like the piece of wood and the wheels. You were supposed to only use stuff in the box. But I figured out pretty quickly, if I went down into my father's workbench, uh, I could cut a hole in the front of the box, of of the piece of wood and front load that with weight and then seal it up so what I did is I cut a hole and I pulled out like as much as I could. And then I cut the, basically I cut out a tube and you cut off the top and bottom and then I glued the top back on and then I filled it with I probably pennies and then I put the bottom back on and then I lacquered it in the hopes of hiding the fact that I'd actually cut it. And basically it had zero aerodynamics. It was still a square. I literally destroyed the world record, whatever that would be. And this was my mistake as a, as a junior criminal. I had gone too far. I had beat them by way too much and it was immediately clear that I was cheating. So they picked up my thing and just looked at it and then they could feel that there was way more weight at the front. It was way heavier than everyone else's car. So I got you know disqualified for cheating. I don't know if you, there's a disqualification badge in Cub Scouts, but if there is, I, I would have got it pretty early on. Now, I thought that was just uh, ingenuity at work. They disagreed. Uh, we agree to disagree. I mean, that's just, that's just the way it is. Oh, fuck. Then... We get to the incident. Now, I had become a senior sixer, which was you're in charge of a group of X amount of kids. I believe it was like five or six other kids. And in Cub Scouts, you were to collect dues every week. And that was the senior sixer's job. It's the only terminology I remember from Cub Scouts as senior sixer because this was very important because that was my position within the group. Uh, Clearly, it was not done based off merit. I think it was just rotated around. Every kid had to be a senior sixer sooner or later. So I collected the dues of the other kids in my group, which again, I believe like five, six kids. Then uh, I took 10%. So I gave, I put it, the, the money in the envelope and I gave it to whoever I was supposed to give it to and 10% went into my pocket because if I was doing labor, I had learned very early on, do not work for free. If you were doing labor, uh, you should get compensated for that labor. And this was a responsibility and I should get compensated for the responsibility of collecting the money and giving it in. 
This had not been agreed upon by anyone else, apparently. And again, agree to disagree. They called it theft, which I disagreed with. I did not believe this was theft. This was compensation. But again, agree to disagree. This was the dissolution of our relationship. Uh, I was no longer a cub. I was not even a scout. And that was the end of my career in the Cub Scouts. I don't know. Uh, I guess the next one's up Eagle Scouts and stuff. Those are people who actually do want to live in the forest. I was never going to be one of those guys anyways. If the point of the Cub Scouts was to impose or impart moral lessons onto the youth, I believe that they only have a single strategy. And that might be the mistake because I think what you need is multiple strategies to deal with different personalities because certainly my personality wasn't matching uh, or wasn't taking in the lessons as they were being delivered. But, you know, I, when it comes to like decisions. Let's get this boy out of here. Tango safe place. We're not here to decide who's right or wrong. We're here to decide who lives and dies. Maybe that's what I needed. I needed my Steven Seagal to come and get me to a safe place. And we weren't there to decide who lives and dies. We, we were there to decide what <laughs> I butchered that line. We aren't there to decide who's right or wrong. We're there to decide who lives and dies. I, I went too slow. And I, because I went too slow, I, I forgot the line. I mean, let's face it. If I uh, wasn't careful, I'd forget my own name. Have you been bitten? Are you infected? Who are you? My name is Tao. Uh, I'm going to have to cut little bits of this together so I can have some sound bites that I use throughout episodes. I mean, this one is... I can't get away from that one. That one's going to last forever. Uh, The other one I like is this one. I'm the motherfucker that's going to do you what you've been doing to everybody else. Because that's supposed to sound really tough, but because the guy wasn't built up as being a particularly formidable opponent, it didn't matter. And there is no justice in the world. So that's what we've learned today. Steven Seagal maybe does not do his own lines. uh, And there is no justice in the world. Hey, sexy friend. He's making me his bitch. Thank you for listening. You can subscribe on iTunes, Google, Spotify, or anywhere you get podcasts. You can also watch on YouTube slash Podcast or streaming on twitch.tv slash chest. You can find Ninja News Japan on Facebook. Send questions or comments to speakpipe.com slash podcast for your first step to fame. Not the good kind, the fleeting pointless kind. Link in the description. Check out all the podcasts in the Podcast family. See McBee, Ninja News Japan and Daily Affirmations Weekly. Recommend them to friends. Not in a desperate way, but in a cool way, you know, just casually drop it into conversation all smooth-like. I can trust you to do that, can't I? Sexy out homies.